On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Stephen Wilson's To the Bone. Welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran and Ken Gregory as we finish out the Stephen Wilson solo catalog with To the Bone. Gentlemen, good to be here. This is very I'm pretty ex- excited for this album. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we have been we have been threatening to palaver about this album for quite some time. To the to the point that at some point, and I don't even remember when it was, I had prepared to discuss this album, had a whole set of notes, and so much time has gone by, I have no idea where my original notes are. I had to go back and and like reprepare for wow for this episode. Yep. Yeah, so this will finish out the the Stephen Wilson catalog and uh, as you guys said, very excited to talk about this. This this album was sort of the, you know, what got me into Stephen Wilson. I, I already liked Blackfield. Um, you know, we had a very positive experience with Porcupine Tree back in the day and what was that? 2007, I think, at the uh, Marillion weekend. But I, I honestly hadn't. What was that? Wait, was I there? Was that that? Was that were, the one in? Uh, you were not there. That was the one. No, in Holland. that was in Montreal. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that was the one in Holland. Um, oh. And Porcupine Tree played. Um, they opened up one of the nights. I forget which one it was. And I, I remember not knowing who they were, but I'm like, these guys are pretty good. And they they handed out the like a little postcard type sized you know bit of whatever and i remember i i came back from that trip with a little bag full of memorabilia and uh and that was uh that was one of the things i kept because i wanted to remember who that band was so but all of that being said i'd never really i'd never really listened to steven wilson and the last episode paul and i were discussing hand cannot erase when you know, Paul has been trying for two years to get me into that album. Now I'm into it, but I, I, I was very resistant for whatever reason. But uh, To The Bone was, you know, when that came out, I, I found it to be very, very palatable. And it sort of, you know, opened the door. Let me let let me start the context. I, I, I'm just I'm just brimming with joy here. Um, you know, we talk about progressive rock in its golden era. And then it's death and it's rebirth. And this is the present. And it's a good present. And I'm really happy to talk about some of the folks who are active during this period. We've got, um, it's 2017. Um, And the the, the artists I would like to focus on in 2017 uh, 
you know, adjacent with uh, to the bone. It, it, it's going to have to be um, King Crimson, uh, big big train, and um, actually, I'm going to uh, throw in a word for Dave Kersner. So just give me a moment here. Um, big big train. Uh, anyone who's into uh, Dave Gregory of XDC, and anyone who's who's heard any of their live stuff on uh, YouTube knows that uh, Big Big Train isn't fooling around. It's just a, a, a magical group of uh, people. And um, let me see the title for the one that actually comes out in uh, 2017 because they're pretty active in this period. It's the second brightest star is the one, but it's the same lineup, um, whether it's the, you know, uh, the previous one or the, or the one after. Uh, they're just really, really brilliant. David Longdon is the uh, lead singer there. And um, when it comes to King Crimson, what's amazing is the three drummer lineup during this period. They are just so hot. Um, I, I, I don't know if, if you've been on the YouTubes for late or present era King Crimson, but um, I recommend it. Uh, if if anything, they're they're kind of doing the impossible. They're they're almost doing it for the sake of doing it, and they're doing it well. Um, in terms of the last guy I wanted to put on the list, um, I was just going to throw in a word for uh, Dave Kersner. I would say he's he's prog in a bit of a Billy Sherwood kind of a vein, um, and 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 they all hobnob with the same folks. They're all they're all buddies, um, and Kersner. Did such a wonderful job with the recent yesterday and today uh, tribute album with Yes. Right. That uh, that 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 <laughs> he, he really he really uh, caught my attention at, at a perfect time since in the flavor here we are just finishing up our Yes episodes. Awesome. Yeah. So you know it, it's not often we get to do something this current. Uh, we've done to the bonus 2017, I guess. Marillion's Fear is probably the other most recent album that we've we've covered on the Palaver, isn't it? Exactly. So let's talk then about the album in question. We have To the Bone. It was released in August of 2017, so literally just a little over a year ago. Producers Stephen Wilson and Paul Stacy, the mad scientist that we'll talk about, I'm sure, in length here in a little bit. It was, He's a man. Yeah, it was released uh, apparently on the label Caroline International, which is somewhat interesting. Uh, band lineup, if you listen to the wikis, is Stephen Wilson on vocals, guitars, bass, and keyboard. And then there's a whole host of other musicians who are listed. Um, Nanette Taeb gets vocals and backing vocals. David Kolar gets guitars. Paul Stacy has a guitar solo. Nick Beggs on bass. Uh, Robin Malarkey on bass. Adam Holtzman on piano. Craig Blundell and Jeremy Stacy on drums. Uh, Pete Eckford on percussion. Mark Feltham on harmonica. That guy was badass. Sophie Hunger on vocals. Jasmine Walks, spoken word. David Kilminster, backing vocals. Dave Stewart, not that Dave Stewart, on string arrangements. The London Session Orchestra on strings. Synergy Vocals is the choir. Paul Draper has sequencer. And Andy Partridge did the lyrics for the title track. Track listing is To the Bone, Nowhere Now, Pariah, The Same Asylum as Before, Refuge, Permanating, 
Blank Tapes, People Who Eat Darkness, Song of I, Detonation, and Song of Unborn. To the Bone is the fifth studio album by English recording artist Stephen Wilson, released on 18 August 2017 on Caroline International. It was recorded two and a half years after the re release of Hand Cannot Erase and one year after his mini-album Four and a Half. According to Wilson, the album is inspired by the progressive pop records of his youth, such as Peter Gabriel's So, Kate Bush's Hounds of Love, Talk Talks the Color of Spring, and Tears for Fears, The Seeds of Love. Interesting collection of, of inspiration material there. I'm so glad you read the personnel. You, you, you mentioned drummer Jeremy uh, Stacy, Paul Stacy's twin brother. So that's that's the relationship there. The guy's a fucking beast. And and oh and, god. And, and, <laughs> and hence hence my reference to the three drummer lineup of King Crimson, sometimes including Jeremy Stacy. Yeah. Okay, I get you. It now. all connects, man. I get you. That's that's great. Yeah. So. You know, it, it it was funny when I was when I was prepping for this. You know, one of the first things I do is I I, I put together my little uh, my little blurb sheet there that has all of the particulars on it. I, I was I was struck because even even on the Raven that uh, refused to sing, you know, we all know that Alan Parsons was involved in that, but he's he's. In some places, he's listed as like assistant producer, or, or oftentimes it's just engineer. But clearly, Paul Stacy is front and center here as as a, a, a co-producer on this, and I thought that was interesting. And as as Paul, who you know was nice enough to join us here, sort of out of the blue, was nice enough to uh, to point out in the documentary for the making of this album it really brings into focus the the influence the and and the the sort of mad genius if i can use that phrase of of one paul stacy the guy is just and i don't know if it's the guy or the studio or the studio is is a, a physical <laughs> manifestation of his per I, I don't know but i i just found the whole thing to be captivating beyond belief Welcome to the Plaver, Paul Zatter. Thanks. It's possible that my basement will look like uh, Paul Stacy's studio <laughs> in about fifteen years. I don't. I don't know that I'll ever collect as much vintage gear, um, but it's pretty close right now. Except I have an air hockey table, the defunct air hockey table that barely works. We should. We should get a, a quick word, Tom Corcoran, from you. Uh, uh, would you be able to uh, entertain clients in that studio? <laughs> 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 Our resident sound engineer. Well, I mean, music, yeah, um, but that would be a little hard to um, to bring in uh, television and film people in, in a studio like that. But you know, if it works for him, I think it's a perfect studio for him. You know, I think, I think uh, obviously he, it's done well for him, and he doesn't do. Um, film and, and TV. He doesn't have other clients per se. It's all about you know what, what he's doing. So um, all the power to him. Tom, have you ever made one of your clients sit there? We know that you've we, you've made them wait at Starbucks for a couple hours while you uh, you pontificated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but have you ever made your clients sit there and wait while you routed through buckets of 
cables and adapters looking for the right power adapter for the right pedal for the, for the special effect you're looking for? <laughs> um, no, but I'll, I'll tell you, sort of uh, digressing, well, you asked the question, but I mean, when you're on set and you are um, on set with about 50 people and the first AD says, okay, when can you be ready? And you, you give them a time you got to be ready by that time. And it, it really puts things into perspective. Um, like there is no reason that you can give them that you will not be ready. If there are people ready to go, you got to be ready. So it's, um, uh, it's a pretty stressful situation uh, when you're in a band, when you're in a studio with, with, you know, in bands, you have, a little bit more time to work with people. You can sort of have them wait there for a little bit, but uh, yeah, you can't do that on, on, on set. I didn't get the sense they were stressed out about time constraints. One, one of my favorite parts of that, ask me nicely the documentary about to the bone is at the very beginning when, when Steven Wilson is like, it sounds like they're overdubbing some radio interview he did where he's talking about how he wanted to, uh, he start recording in de- late December, early January, figured that he would have it all wrapped up by like May. And uh, meanwhile, like a year and a half later, they're were, they were still uh, still uh, sludging through. <laughs> so, so it, it sounds like the story of uh, Vapor Trails. Oh, dear. <laughs> Either that or the uh, the uh, the last surface tension recording. I seem to recall that <laughs> a lot longer than, than it was originally planned to. Listen, just about every project I've ever worked on has taken three times, four times this long. It's, it's one of the things I loved most about that moment because um, I, I think I was maybe even talking about recording an EP like in our early sessions of um, of the Palaver way back when, 50-some episodes again ago. But I like called my friends and I was like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to get together. We're going to rehearse in June. We're going to record in July and we're going to finish it up in August. We're gonna, it's going to be the summer EP. Just knock it out. It's two years later. I'm, I'm, if, with any luck, I'll release it you know, this winter. So, so it, you know, I, I didn't know anything about this, right? And as I was, I was doing my preparation, after my experience with uh, the video, the official videos for Hand Cannot Erase, after I kind of went through the music, I'm like, I've got to go check out what videos they have here. And if you go to stephenwilsonhq.com and you go to uh, to the bone, the the first video that pops up is Refuge, and it's sort of this this black and white lyric, um, you know, overlay thing with all of these shots from the studio, and I had no idea that it was Paul Stacey's studio. But the, I mean, it, it really does a great job of sort of conveying the barely controlled chaos that that is this, right? And uh, assuming uh, wrongly that you know this was Stephen Wilson's studio, and I was having a really difficult time because everything I thought I knew about Stephen Wilson was completely inconsistent with this studio that I was seeing. And it just, it, it really hurt my brain. And so I was really, really happy when we watched the, the documentary and it, and I was able to figure out that it was, it was Paul's studio and suddenly everything made much more sense. And actually at the end of that, they do show Steven's studio and it, it is exactly 
what I thought Stephen Wilson's studio would be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that is um yeah. I, that was my favorite text of that whole that whole uh, message. You're like, yes. <laughs> but I mean, it it really was. It was it, it was a very very compelling sort of look at at how they they recorded this album, and you know, some of the uh, unnecessary dialogue aside, it was it was really something to look at. I I, I thought it really sort of enhanced. Uh, again, my enjoyment of of this album. I don't know though. Like with all of this stuff that that Paul has, and I think they made the joke, or maybe you guys did. I don't know. You know, it, you know, if you ask, if you ask Paul, hey, do you have this or whatever? And he's like, oh, well, I've got four of them, and they all sound different. And hmm. I I, I mm -hmm. don't know how you decide what the right sound is. It's almost like you've got too many options. I mean, yeah. there was there was that one segment, I guess, near the end when they were, I guess they were doing, um, you know, guitar overdubs or solos or something. And and Paul's, you know, Paul's in his in the in the chair at the at the control desk, and and Stevens on that that couch, and the floor between them is just littered with with effect pedals, and <laughs> just I don't know how you work like that, but. I mean, to the bone mm -hmm. is great, so I guess I shouldn't worry about it. We've seen your vinyl room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting there. It, Shut it up. really <laughs> is. It really is a tremendous gift to to uh, be able to dial in the tone, right? And so every every Christmas holiday, um, I get together with about six guys, six or seven guys. It actually grows every year. More and more people come in and they're all guitar players and they, we're all bring any gear that we bought for the year or anything like that. And we just, it, it actually, sometimes it's actually a mess. Like it's just, it's, it almost sounds like you're at guitar center, right? There's just so many people <laughs> playing at the same time all over the place. There's, and it, there's amazing conversations going on individually, but you know, if you're standing at the side of, the basement in, in Mike Feuda's house, you're like, what is happening here? Um, one, and, and so you end up with very similar guitars, similar situation, couple different tellies, couple different strats, you know, PRSs, whatever, couple, and we'll trade them in different amps and we'll listen to the difference in tones. And it's incredible. And sometimes there's even, you know, people will have like two Fender reverb amps but one's modded differently than the other and they'll 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 do this right so it's incredible to hear the differences but my one friend dom is a master of dialing in the tone you put any guitar in his hand through any <laughs> amp and he'll be like he'll play a couple chords and he'll be like hold on and he'll like go to the amp and he'll quickly adjust a couple of knobs he'll flip the tone on his thing and he'll just like and it will just be you'll be like yes <laughs> i mean he can just dial in tone amazingly and that's kind of what like i was imagining was happening in, in some of these sessions where you know you they would be switching guitars and they and you know steven will be describing something and and they really were dialing in in the the tones and, he, and i mentioned this in our special concert series you know he talked about like the different guitars that he used including especially the telecaster was a big part of delivering some of the tone for to the bone and I will say this, I, 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 I jumped in, so I'm not sure what we've covered, I'm sorry. 
it took me a while to get into To the Bone. I was sort of progged, like sort of in a proggy place with Stephen Wilson. I don't think I was quite ready to to get this album when it first came out. It took me a long time. And I really missed just how amazing the guitar tones are. And this may be, of all the albums we've listened to thus far in the palaver, maybe the best sounding drums we've ever had on a recording in this wow. album. Wow, okay. Wow, that covers a lot of recordings. <laughs> it was recorded in a closet. Damn, how did they do that? All right, Paul, in regards to your uh, guitar tones, uh, let's just cut to the chase because it's... um. It's actually Paul Stacey who plays the solo on Refuge. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's talk about that song. So I loved how, oh, like, I, I mean, you could, like, there was a part in that, in the documentary. We could just do a, a whole episode on the documentary. Yep. Um, there's a part in the documentary where he says, you know, he doesn't want to do anything too. Uh, uh, too um, cliche-ish, right? Right. And and he it, that whole entire solo, he's like dancing all around David Gilmore, right? And some of the, and, <laughs> but he never really like every once in a while, like and even like I feel like in the video, like you know he plays he plays that chink to can, you know the one note, and he kind of smirks like, yeah, okay, I just did it because you know <laughs> it was right there. Come on. But oh my gosh, the I I the tone. It, the, I don't know. For me, it does. It takes me back to co- sitting in my college dorm listening to Floyd, and just right, like well, yeah, hold it right there. That brings up the, the the story that Dave Gilmore relayed in regards to recording for All About Eve. He shows up to do this session, and he plays some fantastic guitar. But ultimately, the band is like, "Can you sound more like David Gilmore?" <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do the cliche. Don't hold back. Just fucking play. Them, right? That's that's a fantastic uh, album, by the way. Love love all about Eve. It's it's incredible how in tune we all are with one another. Because I swear, I was listening to To the Bone uh, before we started tonight, and I swear, two things that came to mind that I said to myself. I decided to listen to it. I got one of the new iPhones that has the speakers on each end of the phone. And so I was like, oh, let's, let's check out the, these, these speakers here. Um, and I noticed how great the drums sounded <laughs> just on my phone. I like the, even on an, a, a phone. Okay. And even though it's an iPhone that has two speakers on each side of the phone, the drums still jumped out at me. And I was like, damn, these drums sound great. And then, um, so I'm walking around the house with my phone. I'm, I'm doing whatever. Uh, and I'm in my kitchen. And it, it came, and there are a couple points in some of the songs where I'm like, gosh, this this really sounds like Pink Floyd. <laughs> and and I'm like, wow, this is, this is just like a total Gilmore sound. Um, and that was just tonight. So um, it's I think that to me really leads in to uh, the studio that you guys are talking about. And it's such an old school studio with analog gear. And there is, I know 
because I in in my studio, you know, I have a little bit of the tube stuff, but mainly I have a lot of stuff that's the Pro Tools stuff. Um, and and I'm like, for what I do, it's it's good enough. <laughs> but it there's I I really appreciate when I see studios like the one that they recorded to the bone in where you know people really take the time and really appreciate uh, the that that kind of equipment and more importantly sometimes people have all this stuff they don't know what to do with it and they go oh and like you know a lot of people who oh only listen to the lps and whatever but they'll listen to some crappy pair of speakers and it won't even matter what that you're listening to an lp but uh, it's like it's Listening to to the bone, how crisp it is, and what a great sounding record it is, it almost reaffirms everything that we talk about uh, with in in regards to studio equipment. Because Stephen Wilson and the people that he brings into his projects know what the hell they're doing and take the time to really get that warm, crisp sound that you're supposed to get out of that gear. And it's not a matter of just having the gear. It's not a matter of knowing one or two little tricks when you have that gear. But you can really tell from just listening to the album before I even knew what how he recorded it. Uh, this is an outstanding-sounding album. I mean, this is just... Uh, I mean, everything on here sounds wonderful and i'm so pleased to learn after the fact after all is said and done that it was done in a, in a studio that has all this you know i sound dated when i say this but like old school tube gear uh and, and things like that because it, it 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 makes you appreciate that stuff which you're supposed to appreciate yeah tom one of the yeah one of the things that that I'm thinking as you're talking through there is that how, you know, when you watch that documentary and you, you know, listen to it, just listening to it, you know, I'm just watching it on my iPad, listening to my headphones, the drums, when, you know, when they're in the room filming, you know, whether it's, whether it's uh, um, Steve or, or Craig playing the set, the drums sound very similar to the way they sound on, on the record. And the, the tones of the guitars, you know, sound very similar to the way they sound on the record. They really, like you said, painstakingly worked to get the best sound possible. And they get the best sound, you know, recorded. And they don't have to dick around with it much and, and screw around with it. Even the freaking harmonica. Oh, oh my God. That harmonica mm -hmm. is, yeah. Oh, that's balls out man and when you hear like when you hear it on the on the the, vi the documentary video Mark's i mean up. and then you listen to it i mean obviously it's much quieter in the mix but it sounds almost exactly the same as when they're the cameras in the room with them playing it i mean mm -hmm. they they just uh, you're right they they recorded the best sounds and it really came through that's great that's great i'll, I'll have to watch that video i'm the only one among us who haven't seen that documentary, but it, that's first on is, my list. It's really engaging. It truly, truly is. Yeah, you're gonna feel like you've watched it by the end of this session, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quickly uh, regarding Paul Stacy, I mean, he earned his stripes with Oasis. He did uh, at least five different projects with them. 
um, very deep into the uh, production and sometimes performing. So, you know, he, he, he didn't just save up a few pennies or working on a job to buy that gear. This is, uh, you know, coming off of uh, some major label recordings with uh, yeah. some good financing. I think maybe all that the money that he spent on gear, he, he, um, he raises by what appears to be not using his heat very much in the studio <laughs> as half the time, like he's sitting there recording those guitar solos and he's got like a winter, winter coat. On. <laughs> it sounds perfect. I want to work there. I, I, I think now I want to do the bone means, man. You're just <laughs> I, I think I, I want to send Paul Stacy a, a complimentary a set of Chewbacca pajamas for, mm-hmm. for him to wear when he's in the studio. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's awesome. So we start off with the title track to the bone. Now I'm just going to put my own little, my own little perspective out here. I love this album top to bottom with the exception of the first 20 seconds. This spoken word wow. bit just pisses me off. Because <laughs> you're a scientist. <laughs> it, it, no, it's not that I'm a scientist. I just think it's 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 fallacious philosophy. I I, I think it's bullshit. <laughs> Do we all have our own truth? Or Joe, why it? don't you say what you mean? Come on, don't. <laughs> is truth subjective or objective, Joe? Uh, truth is objective. That is why it's truth. You're a scientist. Enough to say. Wow. <laughs> there it is. I do think that what she says and the tone she says, it's meant to be provocative. It, it, that's why it's there. I get it. I just... Uh, you know, and it, it ties in. So, you know, we talked about this in the special concert series it, it ties into the film that, that he opens up the, the show with. And the short of the long is that he shows like a series of 10 pictures with 10 words. And the first set of pictures go with words that you would generally accept. Okay, this picture goes with this word, you know. But then he switches the words and the pictures and it changes the meanings of the pictures and the words because of it. And, um, and, and it was very powerful and provocative, and I think more so than than the the spoken word piece at at the beginning. Um, but I think it it I think it's a it's a valid discussion, and I think you know we, we, in one case, you know um, Stephen Hogarth had a similar phrase in um, one of his songs where he said, you know, uh, reality is something you rise above. We don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are or something like that to that effect. I'm probably getting that wrong. Um, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are, right? Our perspective changes things. Mm-hmm. And I think it was sent very wisely by the great Jedi master Obi-Wan when he said, it depends on your point of view, right? So this is a this is a permeating thought within our culture. And I, th- and I think it, it while... Eh, I don't know that it's done most effectively. It, it's, it's a valid point, I think. Yeah, and, and I, I just, I, I, you know, it's it's 20 seconds at the start of the record, and I I understand why it's there. I get it. I just don't care for it. 
Do you listen to you skip through it or do you listen to it and then when she's done you go that's bullshit and <laughs> just get it off your chest. I, I say that's bullshit while she's talking so I'm ready for when the music comes in. <laughs> <laughs> You're a true musician at heart. <laughs> well, you got to be ready, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that is that aside, I do find throughout the the documentary Stephen makes reference multiple times to this being a pop record. It, it's not just a pop record, obviously. Um, I don't... It, permeating aside, and even that, I mean, Stephen's got... Stephen's got some prog flowing through his veins, and I don't think he can exercise that entirely. I don't think he tries to. And I think... You know, and again, as we've discussed in the previous Stephen Wilson episodes, even this at this point in his career, it seems that Stephen Wilson has been going through this this journey of discovery of who Stephen Wilson, the solo artist, is. And the Raven and Hand Cannot Erase was sort of like the the epoch of the the most proggy that Stephen Wilson could be, and it's almost like he's he's broken through that ceiling now and he can he can be and do anything he wants but his true nature is going to manifest itself in whatever he's doing anyway so i, I say all that just to say that you know this this album in his own mind is meant to be a little bit different and i think to the bone opens up it's it's very interesting musically but it's also very accessible which sort of balances out these two things that i think he's he's going for I like it, Joe. I think it's maybe similar to, uh, well, you know, well, what he said. He mentioned um, Peter Gabriel's "So," right? I think mm-hmm. that yeah, is. Yeah, but you know what bugs me? Perfect thing. How, how did he pick the seeds of love over songs from the Big Chair? I think that's a great question, <laughs> Ken. I really do, because or 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 why why not the 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 two after seeds of love, which are phenomenally better wow yes i agree there you go uh yeah uh you could say it's his it's his power windows right we had the similar discussion around power windows how (laughs) breaking through the prog ceiling and making something very accessible yet still very very proggy at heart okay yeah I, i was i was gonna say um i think power windows is a great example paul i was gonna say king's x because we've had that discussion Throughout, I mean, it was always sort of debatable whether King's X was really prog in the first place, but um, there's certain aspects of them where they think out of the box and they do things differently that, to me, sort of they they earn that at least partial stamp of, of prog. Um, but no, I think uh, Power Windows is even a better example. But yeah, this is a this is a great example of that where there's. Uh, the instrumentation and the, I mean, not every song on here is like four and a half minutes, three and a half minutes. There are longer songs, but it's not indulgent. You know, there's, it actually moves. Um, there's beginning, middle, and ends, and there's sort of reasons for everything, and everything's pretty tight. Um, but it still has that heart, that prog heart, that, you know, just thinking out of the box type of mentality and, and putting something together that is accessible, but that 
has um, the, those sort of prog legs to it. Yeah, and, and and admittedly, this that was part of this combination is I think a little bit a part of what took me so long to get used to and get into to the bone. I was, you know, Joe. I've I've relayed my journey of learning about Stephen Wilson to Joe over the last couple of albums, and you know, I had spent a lot of time with Hand Cannot Erase and The Raven That Refused to Sing, and I was, you know, definitely into the prog version of Stephen Wilson, and I and I think I was ready for something different than what I originally heard the just the the more i don't want to say simplistic approach but but like the the you know the the first drum line that comes in is you know just kind of like a regular boom tat kind of dancey groove and it's certainly nothing that i was expecting after listening to the previous two records <laughs> and i and i think i was disappointed so much so that i completely overlooked the like incredible incredible drum tones and sounds and the guitar sounds that were happening all around me. And, you know, I really tried to, you know, get into it. And I really liked the first four tracks, but I, they never really captured my imagination until after I saw him live. And when I saw him live, it just kind of changed things around for me. And I started listening to the record and I was just like, holy crap, this is like, how did I miss all of this to, to this to this degree. So, um, I, you know, admittedly it, it kind of delayed my really liking this album, but ultimately it's, it's the thing that makes it so wonderful. Yeah. I, I, you know, we had discussed before you got on Paul, how, um, you know, Ken and I started here and, you know, sort of went backwards from there. And I think that's probably an easier journey to make. Um, as as much as long yeah. as it took me to get to hand cannot erase, um, you know, I did figure it out eventually. But uh, yeah, I, I can understand if you had if you were immersed in that, how this might feel a little bit different. And and honestly, in that interview that we we also watched with him on whatever radio station that was, you know, he expected that sort of reaction to his credit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the preview, the sneak preview of pariah with him and nanette singing together didn't help because when i saw that i was like oh yeah i cannot wait for this and then <laughs> and then i think maybe the next thing i saw was probably permanating which i love but you know i it just kind of threw me off completely so yeah well mm -hmm. we'll yeah we'll get there so but yeah i, I think you know I, I certainly think this this track establishes again the the tone for the album this is this is sort of what you're going to get and for me i think after i after i got into this i found the first five tracks to be like sort of a uh, an emotional tour de force um and and what it's weird one of the things i found after after i you know and we talked about the raven and sort of that creepiness that's there and then once you once you sort of get the whole context of Hand Cannot Erase, that album just, it, it's emotionally weighty. And the the first five tracks here, by the, by the time I got back to this, after going through the other albums and, and everything else, I, I, I found myself being emotionally affected by, by some of these, these tracks. 
um, to the point where I, I need to take a break from Stephen Wilson because he's gotten way too deep into my head at this point. And mm. it's, it's, it's almost too much for me to deal with on a regular basis. Um, you know, maybe I need to listen to uh, Heaven and Earth or something to lighten my mood. <laughs> nice. So, and, and, you know, so moving on to Nowhere Now, it was funny because Nowhere Now, as I was, I was, I was re-preparing for this, confused the hell out of me because it's one of those, you know, like, what, what the hell are we talking about here? You know, and, and it, it's powerful imagery, but you're not quite sure how it all fits together. You know, when he's talking about six feet underground, we move backward now at the speed of sound, which sounds really bad. And, and then when you get to the chorus and he's up above the clouds and he's away from the crowds and everything's luminous and you're like, well, what is it? Is it luminous or is it, you know, a living hell? What, what are we talking about here? And that was another thing that, that he addressed in that, in that radio interview where he, 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 he basically said, yeah, the, the, these, are, these are two sort of opposing viewpoints that are put in there, and I was like, oh, good, at least I understand it now. Um, but if you watch the video for that, it looks like he's at one of the uh, the, the nuclear bomb test sites, um, you know, from, from the 40s is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very creepy. You know, it's a sleeper for me. I realized uh, that this was my favorite tune on the album far too late. I almost regret saying it out loud because it's going to be really hard for somebody to pull that up and get it immediately. Mm. I think you have to hear it a few times to get into it. It's got a slow tempo. It it takes a little bit of work, but once it wraps its claws around me, it, it it's there. It, it's it's part of me. Yeah, I, I can get it. Yeah, I'm with you. And this this was kind of the gateway. This was. I think it was the opening number when I saw the show and I was like, yeah, wow. How did I miss this one? That cause, cause particularly live when you get towards the, the last chorus with the massive drum solo, I mean, Jeremy Stacy, I, I believe Jeremy plays on this track and it just is, does Jeremy play on this track? I'm I think sure I, I don't know. I want to say he does, but it, I, I, it, I can't find my disc, so I don't have full liner notes. Yes, he he plays he plays on this. He played Jeremy. So the the drum fills at the end are just so epic, and and Craig Blundell plays them live, but you know d- does them no you know all to complete justice and just completely kicks your ass. And after that, I was like, wow, and that like you can became the song that I consistently sing i can't get it out of my head mm-hmm. all the time and um it is a bit of a sleeper but i also just kind of love the sentiment um because while most of this album i don't i could i could tell you i don't really care much about the words i just because it just musically it's just so much fun um yeah i just kind of i to me i just think about this song as you know basically we go through life trying to do better than whatever we think uh, it, it should be done and we basically you know basically just screw things up as much as everyone before us did and we don't really kind of realize it until we're ready to die 
Um, <laughs> we just make it worse, he says. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We basically, we're here, we make it worse, and then when we when we die, we, we, you know, we, we float above the world and say, wow, yeah, this is a beautiful place. Damn it. I <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> now, I think it's this song in particular. Um, I don't know where I heard this interview or I read this, but he was talking about uh, his influences. And he was talking about how his, he was influenced by the Carpenters because his mom and dad would listen to the Carpenters a lot. And he was influenced a lot about, he was influenced by that era more than he thought he was. And I think some of the songs on To the Bone, not that anything sounds like the Carpenters, mind you, uh, I'm not saying that, but there is a an uplifting sort of feeling that, is lighter than some of his some of his other uh, albums, um, and, and that sort of lets go, and he sort of has fun with things in a certain way, and they're very accessible, but um, it's not all darkness, and I think that maybe some of the songs, and even this, and the one we're talking about now you know, we might have a little bit of that Carpenter's influence because it's just a lighter side and it's a very sing-along kind of a song. But again, it has weight of weight and depth of the sort of prog things that we like about it as well. Well, yeah, and, and I think we're going to get to that in the next song as well, Tom. That That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Now, the next song being Pariah? That's correct. Your heartstrings, Joe? Is this where it starts? Yeah, so... Uh, it's one of those things. I don't even know where to begin with 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 Pariah. This was the first inkling I had of this album. I have absolutely zero clue of where I was, what channel I was watching, how I stumbled upon this. I don't know. Maybe Paul, this is the the sneak peek you were you were talking about. But I, I remember very very vividly seeing some sort of a broadcast where Stephen was performing Pariah with Nanette. And I, I remember it because Stephen was sitting on a stool with an acoustic guitar in his bare feet. And he's got that sort of Stephen Wilson aesthetic about him. And I had no idea what the song was. I didn't know, but I just found the, the, the vocal play between him and, and Nanette to be compelling. And it was probably, I don't know, months before I bought the album at this point. But when I did buy the album, this was the one that that struck me about the head immediately. And it keeps getting more and more moving. There, There is freaking Nanette Tayeb just, oh my God, this woman destroys me. And I was telling you guys in the text, this was one of the, the videos that I watched. It's a very, very simple video. It's, it's literally just Steven's face or Nanette's face in this sort of um, negative black and white type overexposure thing. It's, it's, it's very simple, yet it gets under your skin at the same time. And Tom, back to what you're talking about, if you listen to the vocal line that Nanette is singing... 
It's very positive. It's very uplifting. She's saying, yeah, life sucks, but you're going to get over this. You're going to power through and you're going to get up tomorrow and you're going to try again. But it feels so painful when she's singing it. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, we have to attribute uh, uh, Paul Stacey's comments in the uh, documentary. I mean, he, because he, he brought he, out the best of that performance. He was, he, he was so good with the way he produced those two in that vocal session. That really was, you're right, Ken, that was just absolutely phenomenal the way he extracted that from them and you know as as much as i enjoyed it before again after seeing that in the documentary it, it just it it enhances the experience and so yeah this is one of those songs i still it it it, it, it hurts to listen to even though it's not it's not all gloom and doom well music is an extracted commodity we uh wow <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, go, go ahead. So I was, you know, I was just gonna say, you know, like I, it, it seems like these days any song that I connect to, I think, oh, this song must just be about what it means to be a middle-aged person, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, but I like, you know, you know, to your point, Joe, like in, in a way. You know, it's, 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 oh, you know, you, this could, this could be a love song, right? Right. You know, um, because you, you think about someone, I mean, like, listen, you know, when you're middle aged, I don't, I don't think you can get away from it. You, there are times when you are weary, right? Oh, yeah. You're just, you're, you confront with the fact that, you know, it really doesn't matter what's going on. You're just kind of doing the same shit you've been doing for a while. And, you know, sometimes it just seems um, meaningless. And then you do things that you're maybe not, not too happy about doing with yourself. And, you know, and then there's this other person saying, yeah, but you know what? You're, you're, like you said, Joe, you'll keep going and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get through it together. I'm not really sure if that's what it's saying. It could be that. I don't, I, I find it, I agree with you. I find it much more painful than uplifting this particular song, which is probably why I like it so much. Um, but it's it's very it it really captures that weariness, and yet the um, the the un well I don't know the unabashed willingness to continue on even through the weariness of uh, of daily life. Well, Joe, I had a similar experience as yours uh, i for the first the first time i heard pariah was watching the video and i was i was blown away and i was saying to myself god just what you were saying this whole video is so simple this is what gets me about the song and even the video it's one of these songs where you're saying god this is so simple it's one of those songs where you go, God, this is so simple. I could write a song like this, but it's like, you know, <laughs> but it's it. You can't. I mean, it's it's like one of those things that is what makes it. You know, if, if we're going to use the genius word, if, if it, it makes it that great, it, it's it's how it um, it is perceived that it is simple, but yet it is not. And even in the video, 
it's very rare that you'll have a video that is as stripped down as the song and as simple as the song. I'm not saying the song is necessarily no, simple, but it's, it's, it is a stripped down song. And when you're looking at the video, you're like, God, I'm just looking at these people's faces, but I'm mesmerized by this. And like, and that to me is absolutely astonishing. I mean, you can watch a video and be entertained by it. And actually, the only other person I can really think that did this was Peter Gabriel. But even Peter Gabriel, there was a lot of effects and, you know, things going on there. I mean, this was really bare bones. This is a really bare bones video. Just some, some color things that are thrown in there and whatnot. And you, from start to finish, you're right there where you need to be. You're mesmerized by it. You're you have that lump in your throat. You're just like, holy shit, this is really working, and it's so damn simple. And I think so. I that being the first, well, I think one of the first things that I heard from him, he had my salute from the from the gecko, um, just with being able to do something that looks and sounds so simple, but is so effective. And, and, and Paul and I had talked about this, I think it was in the last episode that, and, and we're going to give Stephen Wilson credit. I'm, I'm going to assume he deserves this credit for being able to, to marry the, the sounds and the images in very effective ways. Because again, based on my experience with Hand Cannot Erase and, and even The Raven, the videos for those two albums, I mean, y you can you don't have to watch the video to enjoy the albums. You can get into it and, and really enjoy it. But the videos sort of take it to another level. And that's why I, I couldn't wait to watch the videos for this album. And it was a very similar experience in that it, it enhanced my ex my experience of these songs uh, in certain ways and not always in ways that I would have expected but he, he he does this often enough that I you know you just it can't be by accident yeah I'm glad you brought that up Joe because we did talk about the idea of you know does he just surround himself with great people or is he just this incredible visionary that you know, is able to communicate his vision to, you know, right. other people who yeah, that, deliver that is, it. Right. That is how we talked about it. You're right. And I think that, I think that, you know, after three albums of doing it, he's a fucking visionary, right? You just got to <laughs> just say it down. Okay. Right. And I think that, that was kind of what came through in, in the, um, the documentary about to the bone. Right. Um, we joked around in the group chat about the the number of times that he said that he was unproducible. I wasn't going um, to bring it up, but okay, <laughs> if you want to go there. <laughs> you know, I, I tell everybody I'm unproducible. You know, but he definitely is a visionary. He knows what he wants. That's what, you know, Paul Stacey was saying. He, like, he knows what he wants, and he gets the very best people who are the best at what they do to, to deliver it. And, you know... It, it's it is amazing. Well, I mean, he certainly garners respect. I believe it was was it Adam Holtzman who came in and they were playing the piano and he's like he looks at Stephen and he's like it's his call. He's the guy, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, oh, I'll, I'll play I'll play on whatever instrument he tells me to play. Stephen deliberately rotates 
his crew. He finds talent and he admits that he brings diversity to his creativity by mixing up his musicians and his producers. And he's, he's gone in different directions, but it's always the best of that possible direction. I'd still like to, I mean, and, and I'm not, I'm not discounting that and I'm not, I'm not crapping all over it, but I would really appreciate some Guthrie Govin sprinkled throughout to the bone. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, you know, that's a, that's a, a great thing. Yeah. So, you know, fundamentally, I, I, Pariah is, it was the first thing I latched onto. It's still, it's still probably the thing that moves me most on this record. You know, and, and my first note here is just OMG with three exclamation points. So powerful. <laughs> and then it, it, I've got another note here that says the Nanette run into the big section splooge. So, you know, I think that pretty much <laughs> covers it. <laughs> there we go. And then, then we move into the same asylum as before. This is interesting to me. This song is is certainly an emotional roller coaster. So, and this 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 is where I talked about these first five five songs, right? To the bone is is all. I mean, after you get pissed off by the spoken word intro, it it it's, it's almost you know a. a you know, a little appetizer, right? It gets you into it. Nowhere now, you know, you've got this sort of dichotomy and you, you feel, as Tom pointed out, some of the positivity and everything else. Um, but there's there, you still have some indications that not all is right in the world. Pariah is, for me, a very emotional experience. And then you go into the same asylum as before. And it's like, you know, you, 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 you've been lured into the, the haunted house and now the doors are locked and Steven's just going to ramp up the, the emotional, you know, experience that you're going to have here. Um, so I, I think it's great in the way he does it, but, and, and one of the things that, that I find about this, this song to be interesting is, you know, you, you he builds this tension during the uh, the verses and and we've talked about this numerous times when when you build that tension during the verse how do you transition that into a chorus without dissipating all of that and I think he does that particularly well there still is a dissipation into the chorus because that's what choruses do but I think it's handled really nicely um, but but you do have this sort of up and down um, and, and, you know, then you get the guitar break. And, and in the final analysis for me, and, and I don't know if it's this song in particular or this song four, out, four songs in after Pariah, I'm almost just exhausted by the time I get to the end of this track. I mean, but you would be exhausted uh, at the end of a, a good uh, political documentary in the same fashion. <laughs> it's, it's, it, 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 it's conveying a reality. Um, but it's also conveying the safe, space where we live so you know we we engage with the world we read or we watch or we listen to current events and then we have to retreat to a safe place and that's exactly what he's conveying here you know uh 
he 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 realizes the gravity of it, but 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 the chorus is actually very pleasing. So it um you could call this self care, or you could call this uh, self preservation. Mm-hmm. And 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 he's he he's he he's facing the realities of our uh, current events and, and and political climate, and he's bringing it back into a more personal level. That's my interpretation. Yeah, I I um. I love the expression, you know, the same asylum as before. I use it frequently now. Um, I think it should be like universal, right? You know, how are things on the new team at work, Paul? Uh, same asylum as it was before. Um, you know, how's the new well, travel Paul, hockey team, so Paul? Uh, same that, asylum Paul. as before, you know? That's awesome, Paul. It's so funny you should say that because that guitar riff he plays right after that reminds me of you. <laughs> really? Da-na-na. Da-na-na. that's like true i'm glad i'm glad you're bringing that up because I, you know joe was like yeah the guitar break i'm like dude did you just like say the guitar break and just move on like you, <laughs> like that is such a, a powerful moment in this whole this whole four first four songs and oddly enough that riff for some reason harkens me back to abacab of all things i don't know why that maybe it's just the tone or whatever, but it's always kind of reminded me. And even like in that break where he's like, same asylum as before, it really kind of reminds me of Phil Collins. So it's a really kind of weird, weird thing. Um, Cause it just kind of comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. in the, in the record. And man, I'll tell you what the dude, uh, Robin Malarkey, playing bass on this tune mm-hmm. in that during that riff, especially the second time through, he's kind of moving around. I think mm-hmm. he's just super smooth, but I love, I love the whole concept of this song. This, this is currently my favorite song. This song actually has permeated the musical realm of my 15 year old son, Nolan, Really, um, who really? now gets in the car when we drive uh, places and he'll dial this one up and, uh, and start <laughs> our trip off with, with this song. You know, for those going to see him in the next couple of, of uh, weeks, like I think this is one of the coolest videos of, you know, coolest videos talk about up or, up or down and like, Wherever you fall into this and you're like, well, maybe this is a little creepy. Maybe this is a little like unnerving. Like maybe I should be a little unnerved by this. It The video takes you there, but it does it so well. It's just so much fun. Oh, so um, yeah, even, even live, it just like crushes. But I, I'm with you, Joe. I think it's for me, when you get to this point, and these first four songs to me are powerhouse. It is one of the best four songs that I've on an album that I can remember recently. Right. I don't, I, I, and when you get to the, the end of this song, it is, it's almost like you need a break because what's coming next is an entire journey on it onto itself. And you've just kind of been through a lot in these first four tunes. You just kind of need, you just kind of need a break. And, you know, before you can get to the rest of it. But I, I love this song. We were all born in the space of 1970 through 71. Stephen Wilson, uh, 1967. So he would have been, if we were in junior high, he would have been the ridiculously talented musician in the high school. Or if we were in high school, he would have been in college age. But, um, you know, if you think of when we came up, 
through the years, through the grades, and there were people, Paul, in your neighborhood, you know, kids that were older who played guitar that you looked up to. You know, I remember Matt and Rich and all those guys, Andy. Yeah. And it was just ridiculous. And you'd be like, holy cow, I will never play guitar as good as that guy. He's got like, <laughs> he's got four years on me. I have a lot of catching up to do. And that is Steven Wilson. It's like, damn, <laughs> dude. He was so good out of the gate, you know? <laughs> damn yeah oh that's awesome ken that you just took me back to sitting on my parents back deck listening to matt honish play hotel california and just about every anything he wanted to uh across the way just sitting there thinking to myself yeah shit i wonder if i'll ever be able to do that yeah right that's awesome matt honish was badass man damn rich petrus andy bryan dave bruno Yeah, yeah. And so that takes us into Refuge. Now, you know, Paul, a couple times you've mentioned the first four songs. I've mentioned the first five. Um, For me, Refuge continues the emotional journey. It steps it down a little bit. Like like I said, for for me, the same Asylum as before just, you know, gets me all sort of wound up. Whereas Refuge is... It, it's it's more in the vein of Pariah in that it has sort of that that aching pain to it, but it's not quite as acute. Um, but it, it is still for me emotionally charged. Then that's why I, I I found the video fascinating in that it it's just random shots inside the studio, which in a really weird way actually i think help illustrate this idea of a refuge right because what what is this but but paul stacy's little hole in the wall this is where paul goes to be surrounded by his stuff and and you know this is presumably his his happy place he's he's constructed this little warren that presumably no one but Paul Stacy would construct or, you know, spend a significant amount of time in. Um, so in, in some ways, I found that to be interesting and it, it sort of took the edge off a little bit. But, but for me personally, I find these, these first five songs to be sort of a, a nice set. Um, and it, it, again, it goes to, we've talked before about sort of the, the genius of Steven when it comes to tracking an album. And I think if, if he hadn't stopped here, so to speak, and we'll get to, to the next song here after we, we cover this, I think it would have been too much. I think it was this, for me, this was just the right amount of, of emotional push and pull that I can handle at any one time. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, Joe. I think that the first five songs really are on the same level after four it it, it, we we keep going and i i I agree with you i need a break um on a couple different levels um one it is an emotional level but number two i'm almost a little annoyed i mean how how good it is Damn you, Stephen Wilson. I, I, How could you like, do this? I'm like, God, everything is right where I, what I would do, like, but I can't do it. Like, I don't know how to do it, but it's like, it's like, I, but it's like, everything is just, it's just fucking perfect. It really is. I mean, it's just, uh, and 
it's sort of I need a I need a break from hearing something on that level because of just from my own neurotic sense. I, I just I just need a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting too because when I think about like the, in no way is this meant to be comparison around the the way it feels to listen to these two albums. But like when I listen to Gretchen goes to Nebraska, right, and I get to the end of um, everybody knows a little bit of something, and it goes into the difference. The difference is a break, yeah. right? It is still a fantastic song, but it is it's this stripped down acoustic song with three part harmony after you know just four like powerhouse heavy songs, the difference is a break. It gives you a rest that I think the reason that I, that I kind of focus on the first four albums is because like, I feel like the first four albums is the gateway to the rest of it. And for me, even though, even though refuge is only, it's, it's only a few seconds longer than to the bone. Yeah. Uh, it feels a lot longer. It does than than the first four tracks and and there isn't a break um you're 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 kind of up and down emotionally these songs are like supercharged and then you go into refuge and to me it's as a single song it's extremely emotional and it's got all of these ups and downs musically and you've got the big floydish kind of guitar thing going on and the big drums in the in the um second part and then you get this big ethereal kind of thing and the piano at the end, you're just, it's such, it feels like such a long place from point A to point B. It is a little bit exhausting and I love the song and live. It was fantastic. And, but I think for me, this is, this is like, you know, I, I'm, con- this is convenient because I can generally listen to tracks one through four on the way to work. Mm. And then on the ride home, I can start it. At refuge, nice. <laughs> <laughs> if that's, that's see, that wouldn't work for me sure. if I was driving you know, in Los Angeles. I'd have to listen to the whole album just on one way to work. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time I got to work, I'd be, I'd, I'd be, I'd be like, pass out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but what we're what we're building to here is you get through refuge and you have this huge transition. Well, and, and yeah, so let's let's move on to permeating. Yeah, but just one more time. Sorry, Joe. No, one more time. Fucking Paul Stacy on the guitar solo on this song. Yeah. Like, oh shit. Oh, yeah, Paul. <laughs> go. He is like the man. <laughs> And he never does like that, that cliche-ish. I don't even know what the the riff is called, but it's like the one that David Gilmore does like sixteen times in at the end of Comfortably Numb, and it's the classic, the you know the beginning like bend riff at the beginning of like Johnny Be Good, yeah, Johnny Be Good, like that that pentatonic box scale with the bend, and you go up to the top strings and and ring down. He never goes there, which is impressive because it must have been really tempting at least a couple of times is that to, what they were talking about that, no, like all these code words between steven and paul and it was just don't play johnny be good yeah i mean i well <laughs> i think he was like don't play some of the the you know the uh the, that what it, i don't know do they have a name for that for that like riff 
Pentatonic bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what they were trying to avoid, Ken. The pentatonic bullshit, but also, I think the, the you know the things that would be like, oh, that's like a David Gilmore ripoff. He never does it, and I think it's brilliant. Well, in the video we saw, all Stacy plays like this brilliant solo, and Stephen Wilson, in his brutal honesty, that which is at his core. Well, I like three quarters of it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Steve. <laughs> you guys made a good point on the text messaging. Like Paul Stacy, he doesn't necessarily put up with any Stephen Wilson bullshit, but he doesn't respond to it either. He just like he just does his job. It's very admirable. He he just he's he's an ideal producer. Well, and, and you know, all kidding aside, I think just. Based on that documentary, and I don't know Stephen Wilson, I've never hung out with Stephen Wilson, but based on that documentary, I I would believe there's a certain amount of truth in the fact that Stephen Wilson is, quote, unproducible because in his own mind, he is, quote, unproducible. And But Paul seemed to operate sort of in a, a, a parallel path that mm-hmm. he was... He was doing his thing, and he was he was augmenting, he was adding, he was extracting, all the while just sort of walking along Stephen. And and Stephen's doing his thing, and he thinks he's doing his thing, but but Paul is is enhancing it. It was it, it's quite impressive. Uh, yeah, I think in our best working relationships and our best friendships, we we all you know tolerate things and we all uh, exemplify things and we we make the best of it and that's a pretty good example there yeah yeah i I, the the one moment when he was coaching steven on the vocals and he was kind of like yeah do the same thing but like get a little closer to the mic and do it a little quieter like you know the the ability to you know to say i see what your vision is and i think i think i can get you there even better than than you are is very cool and um i love comparing like these epic you know production things to like our own small little lives um and in our musical journeys but i experienced something very similar with ken when we were recording justified the vocals at at drexel ken do you remember that all those many years ago hell yeah 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 some of your best material dude and uh Thanks, dude. And when when I was recording the vocals, you know, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I came in and, and I was just singing it. And you got to the third verse and and Ken said, hey, I want you to try something different. I want you to try this or try that. And, you know, completely sort of reshaped how that that worked and made it so much better. Um, and I think that Paul Stacy was doing that with quite a formidable uh, musical you know powerhouse in um, Stephen Wilson well and, and, I, oh, yeah. and, and clearly the comments that that I'm making are are editable because Tom is for some reason texting in the middle of uh, in the in the middle of palaver <laughs> what are you his, doing his, what are you ordering his, dinner his client still is when you see what I what I texted <laughs> was about time someone mentioned that 
I was trying to be discreet, but come on. I, I mean, you, you, all right. So, so, so back. <laughs> so, so back to that though, and, and we, you know, we've touched on this so much with with the 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 Trevor Rabin albums and 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 even other parts of Yes. But but Trevor in particular, we talked about this and and how much what he, someone like him can do can be enhanced when you have you know sort of that outside voice that can that can get that extra little bit out of you above and beyond maybe what your vision is, um, and and that's the power of collaboration, you know, so. You know, and and so I, I, at the top of this episode, however long ago it was, I'd mentioned, you know, Paul Stacy being listed as a full-on producer on this was was unique from the beginning. And the more you learn about it, the more I've come to appreciate really what he did here. We need to pick up the pace here and talk about permanating. Now, permanating confused the shit out of me my first few listens through this album because because it just it it doesn't fit with anything that I've ever heard Stephen Wilson do it doesn't fit with anything in this record I was initially the the at when I first started to get my brain around this this record and this track I sort of came to grips with permanating initially as after those first five songs he needed to give us a chance to collect ourselves. And this was the way he did it. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you, Stephen. I appreciate that. But, you know, listening to it more and more and, and hearing him describe his thoughts on this particular track and, and how he came to write it and, and sort of what it meant to him. And, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm on board. I, you know, it, it's, it is still a break. It's a chance for us to collect our breath, but there's a lot here to sort of enjoy as well. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure, dude. I, I, this is the break, right? By the time you get through, you need this, you need, you know, this was, this was confusing to me too. I, you know, I saw the video for this. Well, you the know, video I, is something yeah, else. I mean, that doesn't really help either. And and I'm thinking, I'm going back and I'm thinking, you know, okay, um, you know, he mentioned that this was kind of like Peter Gabriel. So I'm thinking, no, that doesn't fit with that. Um, <laughs> Tears for Fears, no, that doesn't fit for that. Talk Talks, I don't really know too much of that, but I don't think that fits there either. I was just very confused about about where this came from. And it didn't really bother me, but it just didn't really make any sense to me. And 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 already at this point, you know, at the early stages, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, this album wasn't really growing on me. It wasn't really, it wasn't really doing it for me. So, and I just kind of didn't really think too much of it. And then after I saw and I and you know I saw him do this live, and he gave the whole spiel about the difference of of the differences in all of his influences in life and all of the co contributions they've made to his music and you know his desire to see everyone in the in the crowd dancing to one of these tunes um it was it was awesome 
and I loved it. And when he played it live, it was kick-ass. And um, I would love to hear the band Scissor Sister do this tune. I think they would fucking rock it out. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, you know, Stephen Wilson's version is, is just fine. I never put this track on just to, you know, oh, I want to listen to Permanating. But I think it fits perfectly in the album, the way it's located. Yep. Hey, I think we all like it. And, um, you know, it's a pop song. So, yeah. And I know he took a lot of shit for it, too. So, you know, kudos to him for actually doing it and, and you know, putting it front and center in his in his shows. I like it. Yeah. And, and the fact that he knew he was going to get shit for it and he did it anyway. It's such a perfect example of and I think he says this in his interview or in the in documentary. It's a perfect example of as an artist you always want to be doing something differently, right? Or different. Um, you never want to be doing the same thing over and over. As a performer, you live off of doing the same thing over and over. But as an artist, you always want to be learning. You always want to be growing. You always want to be doing something different. And, you know, I think, Tom, I don't know if you've listened to spend a lot of time with Hand Cannot Erase or The Raven That Refuses to, the Refuse to Sing. If you listen to those two records and then listen to Permanating, it, it it's almost like how did the same person you know do this uh one album after the other and i think that that was the backlash that he got people heard this you know maybe as the first song of oh his new album and they were like wait a second what just happened right like um but it really fits into that you know doing you know as an artist growing and and doing something new covering new ground even though your fans may think this is ground that is not even worthy of you covering right blank tapes anyone i want to know what kind of instrument and what kind of recording technique is used on that guitar because it's got the very direct but acoustic-y sound mm. well, one of the notes i have here is that this track has it, it's the perfect retro sound for this it's just it's absolutely ideal Blank tapes. Except that I except that I hate it. Okay. Really? Yeah. I, I, it really bothers me for some reason. This is a skippable skippable song for me. Wow. Yeah. So I find it to be quite powerful. I like the uh, I like the imagery. I like sort of what they're what they're going for here. And it, for me, I think Blank Tapes is fascinating because it was one of those songs I didn't realize how short it was until I was mm. preparing for it. It it seems much longer than it is. Um, that should tell you something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really, I, for some reason that retro guitar sound really bothers me. It, it, I think it really, I think partly because it reminds me of, um, Hey, you from the wall, that sound that's sort oh, really? of that yep. acoustic, yep. the direct with A the flange absolutely. or the phaser or whatever, which is my least favorite song on the wall. I don't even think that song belongs on that album. And it got a lot of radio play. Yeah, exactly. That's why it was there, right? Because they needed something to put on the radio. Um, and they Ouch. didn't really need something to put on the radio. They had no, plenty of stuff. Comfortably numb. Exactly. And the whole deal. Right. Like, let's just interrupt the whole concept so we can put a single in here. Thank you very much. Well, let's let's um, not and, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Yeah. But with Pink yeah, Floyd. Sorry. But but hey, you yeah, isn't Pink, even Pink in the Floyd's movie. on the schedule for 2021. I think so. But, so, uh, <laughs> but hey, you isn't even in the movie. It, it literally was bolted onto that exactly. album. Exactly. Right? It's bullshit. <laughs> that is bullshit. So 
So I think that really turns me off. And then the octave singing between Stephen and um, and uh, the other vocalist. I'm not sure who it is. In, in this case, I'm not looking at the the thing. So, so uh, and that's so that's my feelings on the song. I'll I'll be quiet and listen to what you guys have to say. There, there's one line that really gets me. You know, once I could hold you, and the world um, reflected back at me. You know, here again, we took sort of this breath with permeating, and the the sort of longing that's expressed with this song, it's kind of like, all right, boys, let's go back and, and explore some of these emotional states again. And for me, that's sort of what I respond to. Okay. Well, people who eat darkness is fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> fucking a right, Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> the first line kills me every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, real quick, this song didn't really hit me, in, uh, you know, really until I saw it live. And one of the big reasons is because of the video that goes along with this. So, I don't know if you guys, the, vid the video is actually available um, on the Stephen Wilson homepage. And um, I think I mentioned this to you before, Joe, in the, in the actual this video dials up the creepiness of you know tenfold and i i love it and and <laughs> and this this song is i think just brilliant front front to back you guys have mentioned it a couple times but i'll read just a couple of the notes that i have down here for this song driving song drum beat is relentless guitar tones are delightfully creepy perfect I don't understand. Ultimately, we we haven't gone too deep into lyrics this time around. I don't really get people who eat darkness and what exactly this neighbor is doing. I think it's supposed to be ambiguous, but I did eventually get frustrated with the ambiguity when I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, he doesn't like his neighbor, and he's pissed. And the guy may be a horrible person. But it, it did did leave me wanting an, an answer. I think rocking out makes up for it. But it, it wasn't necessarily a complete song for me. I'm not going to take this in the songwriting 101 because it's 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 not fit for general consumption. Yeah, I mean the words are confusing, and and I and I'll be the you know the first to admit it. I don't I don't even know that I really know all the words to this song. Right, I'm kind of like looking through them as we go, but. But, um, you know, I, I kind of think of it like I remember living in apartments and and you don't really know the people who are around you. I, I remember living in this call my one college apartment and I lived um, above these dudes who seemed like pretty cool guys overall. But the guy who who was in the bedroom directly below me was just absolutely enamored with the Alice in Chains song, Man in a Box. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I don't know what kind of stereo he had, but it was way better than mine. And he would freaking play this song on repeat over and over. And it would just like late at night, early in the morning, like it was Man in the Box. Man in the Box, 24 hours a day. And... I fucking hated that guy. Um, just drove me nuts. So, 
you know, but, that's but what did I you think give him a nod on the stairs? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Then you'd walk out to the, you know, go to car before class and you'd be like, hey, what's up, man? <laughs> so, yeah, it's just like, you know, and, you know, occasionally, we, you know, you know, you'd have a party and I'd sneak in and grab a beer or, you know, vice versa, I guess, whatever. Like, you know, so, so I kind of think about, I think about that. But um, the video is a much darker like version of that. Live <laughs> Every party is nothing but in the box. <laughs> We're all wearing flannel shirts. It's awesome, man. You gotta come. Oh, well, I, I dig. So the so the part about this. I'm sorry, Joe. No, go ahead. The 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 thing that really I love about um when we get to this part of the record um. And and it's probably present elsewhere, but for me, this is where it really begins to start. And thank goodness that you know there's an artist in you know what I'm going to just go ahead and call popular music today, who still enjoys bringing dissonance into our lives. Like this song, he starts to bring the dissonance front and center, and I and I believe it continues on. Um, at least in the next like two or three songs here. Yeah. Um, I love the dissonance in this song and, and the, um, the fun that, that goes along with it. I think Steven in a lot of ways strives to be ambiguous to a certain degree with his lyrics, but he, he still gets you where he wants you. Um, he's able to lead you there through the music and through what words he gives you. So I'm okay. We go into, you know, the, the creepy continues with Song of I. Um, you know, this is this is one of those songs where as I'm listening to this, you wonder where it's going to go. You know, where where is he taking me now? And, you know, you almost you start to get a little uneasy because you're like, uh, do I want to go here? Yeah, this is the only track with Sophie. So, so Black Tapes was, in fact, in that it just appears to be a huge Prince influence. And he mentioned that in the in the uh, video as well that he was he was influenced by Prince, right? Why not? Who couldn't be? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. in in our in our uh, generation, right? Now I don't see um, with a slender figure. Stephen Wilson appears to be a man of moderation. He doesn't seem to overindulge in food or drink or anything other than you know lengthy songs and, and occasional philosophical diatribes. He's he's not indulgent. But to, to picture Stephen Wilson <laughs> giving up all the late nights, giving up haunting bars, gave up all the drinking and trashing all the cars. No, no, he, 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 he's obsessive in other areas. But Stephen Wilson has never trashed one goddamn car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what what expertise he has in trashing cars, but I'm not buying it. I like that, Ken. I like that. I like that judgment that you've uh, laid upon him. Even in his days of touring with Porcupine Tree, maybe he never trashed a car. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> in Montreal, yeah. Well, while Marillion was on stage, he was very aggressively trashing cars. <laughs> now, mm -hmm. have you guys looked at the lyrics for Song of I, though? Looking at them now. I'm going to pull them up. Based on what I just said, it's almost, you know, it's almost a setup, if you will. The character here is giving up all of these things, but don't ever ask me to give up you. All right. And then you get into this sort of repeat section 
I gave it up. I gave it all up. I gave it up. I gave it all up. I gave it up. You're in my mind. I gave it up. Suicide. They don't know. I gave it up. Gave it up. You're in my mind. It's like he just kind of slips that in there like, oh, hey, here's something else. You know, there, there's there's way deeper subtext here that he, he, through all of the repetition, it's almost like he's he's distracting you away from what's really going on and yet at the same time this creepy music is is telling you there's something else and i think mm. this is you know this ability of of steven to construct songs like this is one of the things that i really really like and unfortunately it's one of the things that is is going to make me have to stop listening to him after the show in december for a while <laughs> 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 Yeah, you might need a John Anderson cleanse. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'll I'll, I'll whip out my uh, my stack of John Anderson albums and and get uh, get happy. Elias so of no particular meaning whatsoever. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh! So what's fun about this song is that I think like it's it's called the song of I right, and it's all about all of the sacrifice that one makes for. Right for a relationship and yet when you get behind and beneath all of these sacrifices it's like very manipulative right yeah. it's like i'm you know i'm doing this all for you but it's like uh, it's all about me yeah which i think is very very present and mm -hmm. well, could be very very present I may be giving you some <laughs> insights into my own life, but could be very present in, you know, relationships. And, and I, I just love it. Like you said, Joe, I just love how he kind of weaves that in. And just when you kind of think this is a song that is pretty straightforward, right? The, the haunting sort of dissonant chords come in and just take this to another level. It's, um, and goodness gracious, the video is terrific. And the live video that goes along with this is um, is pretty amazing as well. Can't wait. Well, I, I think that's a staple of Stephen Wilson altogether. He really takes you in a, a direction. Often, what happens is it takes you. He takes you on a different direction than you think, but that new direction is always satisfying, and you are never in a situation where you can think oh well i i knew that was going to happen it, it's always something new but it's 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 not so out there where you're like okay this um it's not self-indulgent it, it sounds silly to say this but he really wants people to enjoy his music it's not he's not doing it just for himself um and that's um part of his success i think well, he's not skipping to a destination. I think he's he's taking a journey. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Ken. Well done. <laughs> so let's continue the creepy, shall we? Yeah. Detonation. This is mm. pretty creepy. I don't know. I don't know what well, it, it starts. I couldn't hum the beginning to you. All I know is that I sit there for nine minutes and I'm totally rocking at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so I yeah, sorry, Joe, like, that's it, Ken. There's this bizarre beat at the beginning that I can't fucking figure out no matter what I do. 
and I listen to his eerie sort of lyrics, and all I'm waiting for is like the funk jam at the end. But that's all <laughs> I want to hear. Yeah. So, so my notes here is continues the 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 creepy, but when it opens up, what a jam. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Like uh, this, this one was very, very. Um, so I don't even think I had gotten through this song one time, you know, before I saw him live the first time on this tour. Oh, really? And and the video of this song really captivated me, you know, especially around the end of this jam. It's uh, it's pretty incredible. So, um, it, well, it, it's a great track. It, it takes a little bit of time for me. It's a little bit monotonous until it gets to the funk jam. But um, it's worth the wait. Incidentally, the um, Telecaster tone on the little funk jam is um, fucking righteous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and all he does for uh, for I mean, I, I don't know how long into the song the, the that jam kind of starts. Um, it, it is to me, that's like the best thing about that. That to me, I don't know if, if the Prince influence is there at all. But to me, that's like Prince would do those jams where everybody would just do their thing. Everybody would be in their lane and nobody fucking goes off the lane. They just play their mm -hmm. part. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely nothing complicated going on during that jam at the end. And everybody just keeps doing what they're doing and it all fits together so well. And the, you know, all he's doing is the Dan and it, chicken, Dan and it, chicken. That's all he does for like three or four minutes, and it just sounds fucking great. And you just want to pick up your guitar and do that. You just want to stand in it, take it. I love it, love it. And we finish up with then with "Song of Unborn." This was maybe a song that I was concerned about, based on the title alone, and I had to pull up the lyrics and sort of try to, to tease out what Steven is trying to communicate here. And I think what I found satisfied me greatly here. Mm. But but there again, you go through most of the song without getting to the, the key, right? But the, the key comes at the at the very end of the lyrics when you get don't be afraid to die. Don't be afraid to be alive. Don't be afraid. The whole song almost sets up, you know, this sort of mundane existence and all the things that could or might have been. And it's only at the end, it's like, you know, don't fall into that trap. Don't be afraid to, you know, to be alive. And that's cool. I can get behind that. You know, here again, when you talk about when you talk about tracking an album, right? We we've we've talked at great length at this point on sort of the heavy emotional journey that Stephen has has drug us on, right? He's he's taking us all these places that we we didn't expect to go, we didn't necessarily want to go, it wasn't easy to go, hmm. and and yet here at the very end of this record, right? He gives us this sort of affirming message that says, all right, all of that was tough, but 
go out there and kick some ass. Don't be afraid. It's going to be great. And I'll see you next album. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate that. <laughs> And you might hate the next album. <laughs> you may very well, but you know, you know, it it it, it really does prov to me. It, this song provides you know a nice sort of landing place. You know, again, I think it speaks to the amount of, and I don't know if he if he writes specific songs to do this or he just he writes songs and and he sees what he has and he puts him in the right order. I don't know how he does this, but you know, to the bone sets the stage sort of eases you in and, and song of unborn gives you, gives you a, a safe landing place that, you know, allows you to not, you know, be too overwhelmed with everything. And so I, I, I like it. I, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate the way, that he constructs an album in terms of of track listing and i think this is a great example of it being a, a, a i this is going to be sound terrible to you know anyone who listens to us overseas but being as english as he is right coming across sort of the cynical kind of of whatever and some of the things we've talked about already for him to and particularly in some of his creepiness and melancholy ways and in, in the way he communicates music to have such an uplifting message is is a little different, and it's it's really cool, you know. Like you said, to, the way to end the album as you go through this whole experience of "To the Bone" and all the different feelings, the lines: "It's not what you'll conceal; it's what you'll reveal mm -hmm. that will make you be the perfection of you." And like that, I mean, the whole idea of like being who you are and living out loud and doing what what is important not doing what you know other people think you should do etc cetera, etc cetera. now the world is exhausted we talked about like some of the middle age stuff right and it's like now the world is exhausted and the wreckage is all around but the arc of your life will still be profound okay it's a little bit of a cheesy rhyme there but it's 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 kind of powerful you know like to to Absolutely. realize yeah, to, as an individual, the arc of your life, what you will do will be profound. So go be, go be who you are. Go, you know, live out loud, you know, dare greatly, whatever. It, it's, I, it's, it's powerful. He, the show that I saw, he ended the show with this tune. Nice. And it was, a, it was, it was really brilliant. Yeah. Mm. So when we were doing Magnification, we talked about the, the song, um, Can You Imagine? And when Chris Squire sings, You Might Need a Guide, mm, you, yeah. you believe Chris Squire that, okay, I'll take a guide. Mm. <laughs> and and, and, and it, that just popped into my head as we're talking about this, because at this point, you know, Stephen has taken me into some places. Like I said, I didn't necessarily want to go. But Stephen always leads me in and he leads me out. And I have to trust Stephen as my guide in his records, that, that he's not mm -hmm. going to leave me in some dark and terrible corner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, I, I just, 
you know, that may be a stretch, but I just thought it was kind of a, a, a funny, a funny connection that just popped into the head. I like it. I, I like should it. have participated in your Raven episode because he leaves me in a dark corner for hours. <laughs> well, that's a good point, Ken. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! It was it was it was three albums in the making, but he brought us he brought us there. Good, good, <laughs> nice. So, so that gentleman is to the bone. Excellent. I, I it. And that's that's a great way to finish it up, Tom. I think I find this to be an excellent album. I can't wait till I can find my copy of it. <laughs> ah, the two there's. Do you have this on vinyl, Joe? Is that what you're looking for? Your no, vinyl I've copy? got I've got a CD that I can't. Dude, you have to get this on vinyl. <laughs> that just probably sounds fucking it, it's, amazing. It's probably it's one amazing. Particular probably that really does sound good on vinyl. Well, I will be sure to uh, to pick that up. So. So um, I, I don't know if you guys talked about this at the beginning. Two things that, actually, three things that that I want. I, I just want to call out. Like I don't think we've, uh, you know, Ken, you were talking about. You mentioned. I think you mentioned Dave Gregory earlier. So Andy Partridge gets a gets a a, a credit for lyrics on "To the Bone." We, yes. Yes. Yes, he does. Did you talk about that? We did briefly. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. So that's cool. Dave Kilminster. I don't know how a guitar player of Dave Kilminster's ability ends up only get doing backing vocals on four tracks. <laughs> how the fuck does that even happen? Like, dude, we want you to, I mean, I, I mean, I never noticed him being an excellent vocalist. Maybe he is great, but it seems like that's just not utilizing him to the best of his abilities. I don't know. And then lastly, we talked about this earlier, but, there aren't a lot of people, um, there aren't a lot of harp players that, that you know, I want to sit there and listen to. But Mark Feltham, who plays harmonica um, on mm -hmm. To the Bone yep. and uh, Refuge, holy shit. That mm -hmm. dude has got it. Mm -hmm. And the uh, stuff on him in the... In the um, Oh, in the documentary, he was in the bad ass. Oh my god, the way he played and the emotion that he poured into what he did yeah. was just, you know, watching that just solidified that 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 idea uh, that we talked about with Stephen Wilson being a visionary and then surrounding himself with the people who can bring that vision to life. Like, I don't know how he even considered and thought, oh, I'd like to have a harmonica in that part or how that ever came up. But that dude shows up and just delivers mm -hmm. with, you know, I've, I don't, I've only seen a few people play harp um, in like a recording studio or in, in a live setting. And it's always been in sort of just a blues jam having fun. I've never seen somebody play so emotionally like that. Uh, it was spectacular how do they deal with that in the live show do you recall it kind of guitar fills the space or uh yeah i don't remember i don't know if it was a uh, just keyboard samples or what i don't i don't even remember we'll yeah. have to pay attention actually, i don't i don't recall actually to the bone being done uh in in the show that i saw i may just have passed missed that one but um hmm. yeah i don't i don't recall any harmonica stuff going on well, gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, palavering 
here as we covered the Stephen Wilson catalog. I think this has been an excellent sort of mini segment as we gear up to move into into Genesis and in the the first part of 2019 into our our what is our third calendar year of doing this. That's uh, that's pretty cool. this conversation on Stephen Wilson's To The Bone. We, as always, have enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we seek now your input, thoughts, feedback, and questions. We are available on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at ProgPala, or you can search for Progressive Palaver. You are more than welcome to email us. We are at progpala at gmail.com. The Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on both the Apple and Google subscription services or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And we are hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. going to get to genesis are you guys going to come up with some next week tom thing? next week get oh, ready sure. i'm going to get a text message oh let's do you know so-and-so before genesis oh oh, oh mr oh i'm going to be out of pocket for three months we had to come up with something to do <laughs> <laughs> we we're, we're not going to start this because we love you tom <laughs> all right appreciate tom it. we're not going to start genesis until we can interview every member of the band yes Ha, 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 ha.